Um, so what Derek was just talking about, what he was just praying about, just kind of reminded me of a quote, actually, that, uh, that Paul put up on Facebook this week that kind of goes along with what we're talking about today with adoption. Um, it was from C.S. Lewis, and he said, the Son of God became a man so that men could become sons of God. It's just a, a great summation of, of this truth we're going to go, go over with today. Um, so, yeah. So, I'm going to start my message off today with actually a bit of a confession. Um, I don't care much about sports. I don't know about you guys. I don't know where you're at. I, I am not a big sports guy. Um, <laughs> I see somebody clapping back there. All right. Um, I, I don't really have a favorite football team or soccer team or, you know, communist football, whatever you want to call it, um, badminton. I, I, I just don't care. I don't understand sitting and watching a whole baseball game on TV. I can't do it. I tried to find a verse talking about how that's not right, but it's not in there. But either way, um, I, it just doesn't click for me. But um, twice now, my wife and I, we've gone to um, a couple of Aces games. And there's something about when you're at the game it's a completely different experience. You've got all these people around you that all kind of have this same, same drive, the same passion, the same desire to, to see their team absolutely destroy the other team, right? That's, you kind of all of a sudden are, are, you have this shared experience with them. Um, I might even chest bump the guy next to me that I just met, you know? Um, and so, um, but we all, we all kind of have this desire, right? We like being a part of something bigger, um, a part of something bigger than us and, and doing that with others. Um, and we, we, like to, we like to belong to something, right? I was looking, and there's even blogs from people who live off the grid. You know, and I was just looking at that, and I'm like, there's people that live off the grid to escape from people, but they want to connect with other people that live off the grid. Like, we, we all have this desire. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah, that kind of cracked me up when I, I ran across that. Um, I, I'm not even sure how they got to the blog, but... Whatever. Um, so today we're going to be looking at this, this, how God put this desire in us and how that is rightly lived out. Um, so if you want to open your Bibles to Romans 8, 12 to 17. Page 1045, if you're using the Bible, that's under the seats there. If you're not, you're on your own. All right. So Paul says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Father, I thank you for this truth today, Lord, that you have adopted us as your children, as sons and daughters of the living God. Father, I, uh, I thank you that when you sent your son to die on that cross, it was not merely 
to forgive our sins or merely to justify us. It was to restore a broken relationship, a relationship that was broken in the Garden of Eden. Lord, you did what was necessary to bring us back. God, I pray that uh, this truth today would affect the way we live our lives, affect the way we look at our relationship with you and with our brothers and sisters around us. In Jesus' name. So the book of Romans was written by Paul to the church at Rome, obviously. Um, being in Rome, there were many non-Jewish people getting involved in the church. There was, there was a Jewish portion of it, and there was also this Gentile portion of it, or the non-Jewish portion that was coming in. Um, and so Paul spends a lot of time throughout the book of Romans talking about both of those groups and ultimately how they all were in the same boat together. They all had the same need and... Um, that need was met the same way for everyone. He talks to um, the Jews about how they were, they were trying to get right through the law, and they had failed, just like Paul did, and they needed Jesus. He talks to the Gentiles about how they were seeking after other gods. They were seeking after the desires of the flesh, and that's just going to lead to death. They need to turn to the real creator God. Um, they needed Jesus as well. Um, and I want to make sure we kind of understand that, because here in America, we, we kind of forget about the Jewish roots of this. You know, we've been in this um, Christian nation for a long time, right? We Maybe not so much anymore. We're kind of moving away from that. But when we think about becoming a Christian, we don't think about those Jewish roots instantly. We think about the fact that, oh, I'm a Christian, just like tons of other Americans before me. But if you look in the context of Romans, this was actually almost still like a cult. It was just this small little sect of Judaism that was coming in. And so as a Roman, if you're coming into that, you've all of a sudden left your Roman culture behind and joined this cult of Judaism that you really don't know a ton about. You don't have a ton of history in. All you kind of know at this point is this Jesus is somebody worth following, and you're going to figure this out. But you end up feeling kind of like an orphan coming into this. You don't fit in either group. And so Paul spends a lot of time going over, no, you do fit. We all belong in this um, as he's going through the book of Romans. So if you look at verse 12, he says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So Paul showed early in Romans that the Jews and the Gentiles had this same need, right? That he's building on this the whole time, that they all need Jesus. They, they took different paths, but the end is the same. Um, and, he, and Paul continues to build on this in verse 12 um, by saying that all of us who have placed our faith in Jesus are debtors. Um, in Romans 6.20, Paul says, for when you were slaves of sin you are free in regard to righteousness. And now he's kind of flipping that a bit. He's, he's twisted that. Now that they are believers, they're no longer slaves to sin. They are free in regards to that. They're no longer slaves to the flesh. Instead, they are debtors to righteousness. They, they have an obligation to righteousness. Um, and we often talk about serving God as a joy, and, and we should. Serving God is a joy. But... Let's be honest, sometimes there are times when God calls you to do something and you're like, oh, I don't really feel like it right now, right? You just kind of, I'd really like to just sit around and 
watch sports all day or something. You know, um, <laughs> I shouldn't have thrown that in. That wasn't in my notes. <laughs> yeah, Callie's pointing at Derek over here. Um, <laughs> but really, um, if, if we're being honest, right, there are times when we don't really feel like it. But this is saying here, Paul's saying we, we have an obligation to it. We are debtors to righteousness. Um, and so we have an obligation even in those times. He's given us eternal life. He's given us forgiveness of sins. Um, he's given us the ability to live a life according to God's will. And um, because of this, we, we put to death the deeds of the body, just like he talks about in there. Because we are debtors, we put to death the deeds of the body, and we live according to righteousness. So even in those times when you really don't feel like it, there is still this obligation that, that Christ has paid for all of this. And then he goes on to give another reason as to why we should strive to live according to God's will. And this is, this is the, the meat of what we're looking at today. It says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So not only are we obligated because we're debtors, we are debtors, but we're also obligated because we are his sons and daughters. We have been adopted into this family. There are expectations as we live in obedience to God. Um, and as sons and daughters, we live to glorify our Father, right? We, if, that's, if we have no desire to glorify our Father, what does that say about our relationship with him, how we view him? Um, if I, I, as I look at my children, you know, and they, they have a desire to follow their mom and dad, that, not always, but, um, but they, they often have this desire to please mom and dad. They enjoy when mom and dad say, wow, that was really great. That was a great decision you made right there. And they get pleasure out of that, just as we should. And so we strive to live as sons and daughters in a way that reveals that we, it, it reveals the family that we belong to. You know, the way we act is evidence of who you have a relationship with there. Um, and just a, a quick side note to throw in here. I, I don't want to distract from the message too much, but you, you'll see throughout the Bible it'll talk about sons of God. I do want to clarify that. It's sons and daughters is, is a proper interpretation of this. But I do also want to point out he says sons of God because he's trying to communicate a privilege that would be understood in that time. The son had the right of inheritance. And so when he says sons of God, he's, he's saying that you are not only adopted, you are adopted with all of the rights that come as a son, so sons and daughters is a proper interpretation. Don't, don't get that mixed up. But also don't just kind of toss it aside. Remember that there is this kind of privilege that's communicated through that. Um, kind of moving on here. Um, one of the things to notice is that he says, all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. We were talking earlier about how the Jewish um, groups and the Roman, the Gentile groups were in this. And Paul's kind of pointing them all to, we all had this common need. We're all in this together. So he says, we are all all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. The Roman believers are 100% a part of this. If they have no Jewish history at all, it doesn't matter. God has adopted you. Um, and so Paul's specifically pointing to that qualification as a son of God as something spiritual. It's not a physical lineage. It has nothing to do with who their great-great-great-grandfather was. It has to do with the Spirit of God. Um, and so the one condition to being a child of God is that you are spirit-led. So your first point in your notes there is if you are led by the Spirit, you are a child of God with all the rights and privileges that come with it. 
you belong to the family of God. John the Baptist, I think, said this the clearest when he, he has some Jewish leaders that are coming out to him as he's baptizing in the river, and he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. He's pointing out to them, your lineage has nothing to do with your relationship to God. It, it, it has to do with a spiritual, a, a heart of repentance. It's a spiritual condition. If you have a heart of repentance, a heart that recognizes your need of God and recognizes him as father, that is the evidence of you being a son of God. So then in verse 15, he says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have re received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So you did not receive a spirit of slavery, but a spirit of adoption. What does this adoption look like? What does it mean to be adopted into God's family? Um, when I was, the first time I kind of really understood this truth and, and it really impacted me was when I, I heard the question asked, why did God adopt us? He didn't have to adopt us. He could have justified us, died for our sins, and left it there. We would have been justified, we would have been right with God, but God was not okay with stopping there. So why did he adopt us? If you look at these two conditions that Paul lays out here, he gives a contrast. He talks about this spirit of slavery that leads to fear. And then there's this spirit of adoption as sons. And that leads to us crying out, Abba, Father. So instead of the fear, there's this child crying out for their dad and the emotions that come along with that, the, the security, the peace, the comfort, the refuge, the privilege these all come out of a deep and trusting relationship with God. God did not want just justified followers. God wanted sons and daughters. He wanted a relationship with us. And when you think about that, that why did God adopt us? Why did God take that extra step? That was his goal all along. He wanted children. He wanted a restored relationship. Before Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, what was God doing with them? He was walking with them. He was talking with them. He had a relationship with them. And then when Adam and Eve sinned, that relationship was broken. It was just severed instantly. And God made a plan to bring all of that back, to bring that relationship back. When we think about Jesus going to the cross, you know, we often think about he died for our sins. He did, that's right. You know, we think about we are justified because of it, and that's right. And these are all amazing things, things we don't deserve. But God looked at that and he said, no, that's not enough. That's all good, it's just not good enough. He wanted sons and daughters. He died on that cross to restore a relationship that had been broken in the beginning. He died for you because the Father said, I want you to be my son, I want you to be my daughter. And I know what must be done for that to happen. And so the second point on your handout is God adopted us because he wanted more than a follower in me and you. 
He wanted a relationship. He wants more than a follower. He wants a relationship. And this relationship means that instead of walking in fear, that spirit of slavery that leads to fear, we walk and we call out to God, Abba, Father. That term Abba, it's an Aramaic term, um, something that would have been very familiar to the Hebrew readers in that time. Um, it's also the phrase that Jesus said when he was in the garden, right before he was arrested, crying out, Abba, Father, as he was praying. Um, it has kind of a, it's a more personal um, and more relational term. It, it, you see the Abba and the Father placed together there. And the Abba is this very personal deep relationship type term, and the father term is more of a, a term of respect, of honor, of recognizing that you're my father and I need to respect and honor you. Um, and so with these two terms put together, we get this sense of um, our relationship with God being very personal, very intimate, but also we never forget that God is holy, he is perfect, he is deserving of our praise, he is perfectly righteous. And so both of these come together in this term. Uh, he wants us to tell, us, tell him about our struggles, to tell him about our, our failures, our highlights from the day. He wants to hear all of this. He wants us to read and learn more about him and pray to him and talk with him. Um, but he also has expectations. He is a holy and perfect father, and he has expectations of us as sons and daughters. He is perfectly righteous and deserving of our worship. Um, recently, we, Kelsey and I were talking about our kids. We've been given Sawyer, who's now five, um, a few more kind of structured responsibilities around the house. And as we were talking to her about these, um, one of the main things we kind of wanted to get across is because you are a part of this family, we have expectations. There are expectations of you as our daughter, as a part of this family. Um, if she was just a friend's kid, we wouldn't have those expectations. You know, we, I wouldn't have Holly coming over to make my lunch every night, you know? It just wouldn't make any sense. Um, but as my daughter, I do have expectations of her. And the cool thing is she kind of, she understood what that meant. She got really excited when, when she felt that she was bringing, you know, she was a part of that family. That's what it communicated. It didn't communicate these harsh rules that she had to follow. It communicated you're a part of this family and we love you and because of that, we have expectations for you. And as a young child, you know, she really got this, but we tend to kind of forget this fact as we get older, you know, parents give us chores and we're like, oh, I gotta do that again, you know, and it, it, it gets to be just, just a job. <laughs> I, <laughs> I hear a lot of giggling around that one. I don't know why, it's weird. Um, but, we, you know, it's good to remember that we have these responsibilities because we're part of the family. The family. Um, and so as God calls us to action, as God calls us to, to these things, we remember that we are a part of the family. It's evidence of that. So for your next point on there, um, when you recognize what God has called you to and that he has given you responsibilities, it is evidence that you are truly a part of his family. not to make us miserable. It's not to, to lay undue burdens on us. It is to say you are a part of this family. 
And so when we say, Abba, Father, you know, it's more than just going, hey, Dad. You know, we're, we're communicating as we say, Abba, Father, that we have a close and personal relationship with a holy and righteous God. Verse 16, Paul says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So who in this verse is testifying to the fact that we are children of God? It's not us. It's not us making a claim to something that we desire. It's God saying, God declaring that we are children of God. Um, If we have placed our faith in Jesus, we read his word and the spirit communicates to us all through that, that he is our holy and perfect father, that we are his children. It is God testifying to the fact that we are his children, not us. God made a declaration. This is God saying, you are my child, and I will love you fully. I will give you all that you need. I will discipline you as my own. And since God declared us his children, he also goes on to declare us as heirs. We have an inheritance. Um, We are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Now, what does Paul mean by this? He means... um, I think, I think Peter kind of clarifies this a lot. In 1 Peter uh, 1, 3 to 4, he says, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Our inheritance is imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. And it is waiting for us in heaven. And that is such an exciting thing. I love this. And, and we don't know necessarily everything that comes along with this inheritance. But in Revelation 21, 3 to 7, this is kind of a longer verse, so just bear with me. But it's such a beautiful description of what God has promised his children. He says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give (coughs) from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. I love that picture of our inheritance. That is so exciting. There's no more mourning. There's no terrorism. There's no crazy storms that come and wipe out whole cities. The whole creation is restored. 
to make a, a perfect playground. You know, the father's making this perfect playground for his children. He's restoring all of this. He's wiping away every tear. That is our inheritance. That is so, so exciting to me as a child of God, that he claims us. He longs to have that relationship with us and to have it restored to perfection. But before we come into that inheritance, Paul reminds us that if, if we're going to receive this inheritance, we should also, for a time, expect the same treatment that Jesus had. In the West right now, we, um, we are blessed with being able to be a Christian without too much discomfort. You know, maybe the occasional atheist or, or uh, moral relativist wants to verbally attack, stuff like this. Um, but really, we've got it pretty good compared to the rest of the world. Um, we don't go to sleep at night wondering if we'll wake up the next morning in a prison or wake up at all. And in many areas in the, the world, that is a real danger. So we've got it pretty good here, but it, it has become more uncomfortable to be a Christian in this nation. You know, you are verbally attacked. Um, you do get kind of cast out from circles for standing on the truth, especially in a day where you say something and everybody knows it within five minutes, thanks to Twitter and Facebook, you know. Um, you take a stand on the truth and, and people are ready. People want to attack it. And so the question to ask, I think, in the West is, are, are you ready to stand on that truth? You know, are, are you willing to go through being cast out? Are you willing to go through being shunned by possibly even your own family for holding on to these truths? Um, <laughs> the, the thing I always think of is people always talk about, you know, you're on the wrong side of history. You know, are you willing to be on the wrong side of history that the everlasting God declared? <laughs> um, are you ready for that? It, 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 do you have a heart that says, I am a child of God, and I'm going to cling to his word? So what does this all mean for us here today? Um, if you are a new believer, you've just been recently adopted into God's family, I hope this really expands your view of what God's plan for you is, that his plan for you is not to just get another follower not to just get somebody who's going to just kind of blindly walk along and um, hope for the best. He wants a relationship with you. He went to the extent that was needed to form a relationship. Um, you belong in this family. You belong to something bigger than yourself. We belong to something bigger than ourselves altogether. Um, I hope it reminds you that you have a family of believers all around you. You have brothers and sisters in Christ in here that will come alongside and walk with you and may need you to walk alongside them. Don't think as a new believer that you're not needed. There are people in here that will need that. Um, if you've been a believer for a while, I hope this reminds you of, of when you first understood this truth. I love this truth. As Paul was talking about it in the beginning, you know, it's, it's such an impactful truth that God wants and desires to be with you, to talk with you, to walk with you. He wants and desires that. I hope this reminds you of that, that this isn't just this kind of cold relationship. This is a deep, warm, and trusting relationship. 
And my final hope is that it also reminds all of us as believers of our responsibility to each other. We have a responsibility to others around us, to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Next week, we're going to be talking about unity. And I, I did this on purpose. I wanted to talk about adoption this week and unity um, next week because they are so tied together. Adoption, the fact that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ, is such a foundation for the unity. And so I just want to have a few questions out there for you guys to be thinking about. You know, he, he made this plan that gave us a responsibility as his children to be an active part of this family. So when a brother or sister is in need, do you treat them as a brother or sister, or do you treat them as that person you see at church once a week? When a brother or sister offends you, do you strive to reconcile that relationship, or do you just move on with your life because, again, it's just that person you see once a week? When you see a child of God that is walking away, that is stumbling, that is struggling in their walk, do you come alongside, lift them up, and help them along? Or do you just move on with your life? The last point in your handout is um, all of us in this room that are spirit-led, who belong in God's family, have a responsibility to God and to each other. We are all in this together. We, we are all literally brothers and sisters. We have all been adopted by the same father. We belong to something greater than ourselves. Now, if you do not know, Jesus is Lord. I want you to understand, God does not simply want to gain another follower. He does not want a slave to do his work. He doesn't want to boss you around. He doesn't want to suck all the fun out of your life by making rules on top of rules on top of rules. If anybody can have fun, it's the children of the creator. We know how to have fun. We have a God that created, have you guys seen seals, the way they play and they bark? And they, I mean, that's, that's amazing. God created them that way. If we have a God who made seals, we get to have fun, you know? <laughs> we get to have fun. He wants to make you his child. This isn't some cold rule following. He wants to make you his child. He wants to have a relationship with you. He doesn't want to force obedience or, or force this vain moralistic striving. He wants you to seek after it with him. He wants to walk alongside you. He wants to be your father. Um, I lost my place in the notes. The seal thing wasn't in my notes. <laughs> that just randomly came to me. Uh, <laughs> he wants to watch you enjoy spending time with him. And don't think that you need to attain some sort of perfection before you come to him. When you think about adoption and, and kind of our world here, you know, we don't, if, if parents adopt a child, they don't expect that child to just instantly know what's expected of them in that family. Instead, it's the, it's the delight of the parents and the delight of the children to learn that together, to walk in that together. So if you don't know Jesus is Lord, if you're not his child, 
I encourage you, find out. It's like, it's amazing. It, uh, he wants to walk with you, and I think that's an amazing thing. So I'll pray, and um, we will sing a couple more songs. Father, I thank you. I thank you so much that you desire to be with us, that you actually want to talk with us, that God, the creator of this world, wants time with us. Father, I pray that we remember that as we go through our lives. I pray that we remember who you are, what you have done, and the extent that you went to adopt us, Lord. That the cross is not merely about forgiving sins. It is about that, and that's amazing, and we don't deserve that, Lord. But it's even more than that. It's even more glorious, and that, that wasn't even good enough for you, Lord. You wanted to adopt us as sons. I pray that we do not forget that, that that affects our relationship with you and our relationship with others around us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.